First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. I'm going to preach a subject, a message today that I don't very much care to, titled The Adversary. Now, the reason I don't like to is I don't like to call too much attention at times to that, that evil one, that wicked one. And perhaps in doing that, sometimes we can forget that we do have an adversary and forget that there is a most evil entity and his name is Satan. And he does stand up against his people and he does provoke his people to sin. His name, Satan, literally means the adversary. The adversary. By definition, one man says, one who withstands. And we know that he has withstood God from the very beginning. Another definition is the opponent or enemy. And he is indeed the opponent or enemy of God. And in being so, he is also the opponent or enemy of God's people. Many forget we have an adversary. We live our lives. I, yesterday I was watching the kids and we were playing in the yard and man, they were carefree, just laughing and giggling and it's, it's good to be a child. I'm not, I'm not condemning childhood. But many of us as adult Christians sometimes live our lives like we're immature, like we're in childhood. And that there's not a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You see out here watching the kids, they're watch, I'm watching them play, but I'm also watching to make sure no predator or otherwise sees them on the side of the road and takes advantage. Circumspectly, I watch my children. Many of us forget that this world is the devil's playground. Ephesians chapter 2. And I say playground, it's where he does his business. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 2. And the second verse, When time passed, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. But this world and its course or its deliberations, it, it, its business is according to the prince of the power of the air, and that is Satan himself. This world is satanic. It's made by the hands of God, but it's, it's, it's guided in this very hour by the influence of Satan. Don't forget, this is God's world, that he didn't make it. But do not forget the influence Satan has in every aspect of this world. Every aspect. Business pleasure, whatever he does he does in this world, he does exercise his power, the prince of the power of the air. He does exercise his power in this world. And that sinners by birth do exactly his bidding after his power. We just read that. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, meaning you couldn't discern before salvation, you couldn't discern me from anybody else. Right. And the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, following after the prince of the power of the air. We forget we have an adversary. And maybe calling him devilish is redundant, but you hear the point. He is indeed devilish. He is opposed and he withstands and he is the enemy of everything godly, of everything good, of everything righteous, of everything that, that, that is God-honoring. He is on the rampage as an adversary. Ephesians chapter 6. And while I, while I sleep or I do this or I do that, he is purposeful in his existence. 
I'm not always purposeful in my existence, but he is purposeful in his existence. That's why Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Boy, that seems like pretty serious instructions, doesn't it? It truly does. First Peter chapter five. Doing all to stand. First Peter chapter five. Verses eight and nine. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, your opponent, your enemy, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You ever been to a zoo and seen an animal just pacing back and forth? We went to a zoo not long ago, and man, when those when that lion is way back there, no big deal. But when it walks up front, but every step it takes, it it just it just chills you. Satan is so much more fierce than a broken down lion. Seeking whom may devour. Peter, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. And when thou art converted. See, Satan did have his hand on Peter, didn't he? It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, continue reading, Whom resist steadfast in the faith. You can't resist it in any other way in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Every, would you just read there in verse 9? Every single child of God then is approached and, and, and confronted and has an enemy that his name, Satan, is that devil, that adversary. There is not one child of God that does not have this common enemy. He is a liar and a murderer. That lie is deception, and boy, aren't we deceivable. I, I can be deceived pretty easy. So can you. And we know that de the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. So for, for the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 8, and verse 44, to both call him a liar and a murderer, we know what type of entity this, this devil is. Satan, what he is. John chapter 8, verse 44. Year of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth. So he's a liar, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. He's deceptive. He's cunning. He operates in sin as murder and death are a result of the fall. He operates in sin. He operates in deception. There was no creature more subtle than that old serpent, of which John, by the by the Spirit of God, speaks of in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 2. And he laid hold on the dragon. Compare that with Job 41 as he describes Leviathan. And, I, and he's speaking of Satan himself. That old serpent, which brings our minds back to Genesis chapter 3. Oh, you won't surely die which is the devil, if we only knew, if we only knew how sinister this being really is, if we only knew, sin personified as that old serpent. If you look, if you were to read in Proverbs chapter 7, we're not going to take the time today, but it says that, that Solomon, that he looked through his lattice and he saw one of the simple ones out here and there's a woman 
And she seduces him. And she brings, she brings him uh, into a place where he thinks his, his adventures are okay and everything's well and, and, and everything's going to turn out just fine. He, and, and she presents herself, again, sin personified, in a satanic view. In Proverbs chapter 7, I want you to read the end of him, though. Verse, Proverbs chapter 7, verse 24. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways, for nor, go not astray in her paths. For she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Doesn't she sound devilish? Doesn't she sound as one that withstands as an opponent or an enemy? Surely she does. If we only knew how subtly and how terribly Satan moves. He knows all the tricks. He knows, especially, especially for the children of God, he knows all the sins that easily beset us. Why would you say that? Job chapter 1. I want you to see something very important here as we notice our adversary. Job chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth. Doesn't that sound like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? And from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered or analyzed? Have you inspected my servant Job? That there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and eschewed evil. That's God Almighty saying that about Job. Believe it then. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou made an hedge? Hast, hast not thou made a hedge about him? You put a you put a row around him. You made a, a protection around him. How did Satan know that? Because he was walking up and down the earth looking to get at Job. And all and about all that he hath on every side, thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. Put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. Satan lives up to the word, doesn't he? As an enemy, as one that withstands God, teach him to sin or provoke him to sin. And the Lord said unto Satan, behold, all that is in Thy, uh, he, all that he hath is in thine power. Uh-oh. You think God still does that? All that's in Lex's hand is in your power. All that's in Jill's hand is in your power. All that's in Debbie or Adam or Gary or Nelda or Joe. All, the, all that they have is in your power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And I believe he did so swiftly. Oh, man. You know, some of these cartoons where somebody takes off and you see a cloud of dust behind him where they used to be. He is swift. He's a false accuser. He's a slanderer. He is that adversary. Satan. That's what John said in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 2. So back in our text, now that we're brought to the reality of, our, of this Satan... Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. That same Satan that was in the garden and that provoked David is here among us today, I'm sure, if not one of his minions, and shall be judged at the last. He will not change. He cannot change. He is who he is. Satan, the adversary, he does take a stand. Look at this. That, that word, he says he stood up against Israel. That's important. The language is important. He stands. It doesn't say by what means he stood. It simply means that he stood. So he could have stood against Israel 
as a friend, subtly, as that woman in Proverbs 7. Or he could have stood against Israel as a foe. He, he's provoking David to number Israel. Why would David number Israel? Was it for pride? Was there an army coming? Did he not trust the Lord? What was the problem? By what means it doesn't say. Just as much as I know that there are sins that easily beset me, Satan knows that as well. It's not hidden from God. He does make a way of escape. Trust in the Lord. He is the refuge to the pulling down of strongholds. He is a mighty tower of comfort. We do have an adversary. There are many that have succumbed to, to Satan's standing against them. Many. David did right here in the scripture. David sinned, and we'll get to that. But for, for Satan to take a stand, that means his attitude, his standing, his ground, his established way. He is set against God, and he is set against God's people. He rises up, and he, he continues for that cause. He is stationed, and stand, he stands firm in that present cause. Revelation chapter 20, he'll be bound for a thousand years. When he's released, what will he do? He will rise up against God, against God's people. He has not changed. He will not change. He stood against Israel on this day. In the text, it says Satan stood up against Israel. And that it's just black and white. It's a fact. He stood up against Israel. He made his stand against God's people. And I believe he takes his stand against God's people today. Sure, all the elect. I mean, he doesn't mess with the world. They're already going according to, they're already the children of disobedience. They're, they're already messed up. I mean, he, he just plays with them. But he takes his stand against God's people. How serious. I believe he takes his stand against God's people. He has elect every child of God. I, I, I believe that. I don't know who's saved and who's not, but, but, but I believe that Satan does. He, he, because the, the Spirit of God indwells a believer, thus casting out evil, I don't believe a saved person can be possessed. I believe they can be oppressed and they can be provoked, but not, not possessed. That Satan knows who the elect are, and he does stand against them. I believe also, oh, Satan, he stands specifically. He, he stood, now there were other saved people in the world besides the children of Israel, but he specifically stood against Israel. I believe that, the, that Satan specifically stands against the Lord's church, specifically. Why else would Jesus Christ himself say the, the, the gates of hell would not prevail against it? That's right. Because there would be an attempt by Satan, that wicked one, the serpent, to subvert the things of God. And he's done that from the very beginning. This same devil that moved Pharaoh to kill every male child, and that same Pharaoh that, 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 that moved Herod to kill every male child, the same Satan that stood against the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4, stood against God himself, I believe, is adversarial to the Lord's assembly. And Jesus Christ, in saying that the gates of hell would not prevail against it, indicates such. And he won't stop. He won't stop until he's destroyed. He thinks he'll win. He will not stop until he's destroyed. I made mention of it. Revelation chapter 20. This is his end. Let me let me comfort you. Let me tell you about his end. In Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 20 and verse 7, it says, and when, when the thousand years are expired, Satan, the same one that stood against David, the same one that stands against you today, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints. So he stands against the people of God. Same entity. Same one. 
So just as much as he stood against the saints in future history, he stands against us today as much as he stood against David back in 1 Chronicles 21. And the beloved city and fire came down from God. Why did it come from God? Because he ultimately stands against God. came from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that, that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Why? Because they're evil. Because they're wicked. They're adversary to God. They, they are sinners against God. Satan stands. Satan, that adversary, stands against God's people. Thank God for the protective hand of God Almighty. Thank God that the Lord does hold his people in the palm. And, and none, as he said in John chapter 10, none can remove the child of God from the hand of God. None. Praise God. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. If any could, Satan could, but none can. But Satan also, the adversary, he provokes. Says Satan stood up against Israel, and he stands against us today, and provoked David to number Israel. He provoked David to sin. He provoked David to sin, and he provokes me to sin. And again, it doesn't say by what means he does it. Satan, he he's wonderful in his his place and what he does. He's really good at it in that he offers he offered adam and eve everything they wanted you can be like god satan offers us everything that we would want according to the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life he offers us everything we want to provoke us friend or foe he can provoke us to sin oh he can't provoke me to sin oh you're better than david then and he attempted to do so to jesus christ himself Oh, what a wretched creature. That word provoke means to incline or allure. You go fishing, you put a little spinnerbait on there, it allures a fish through the sounds and the motion. It entices. That word also provoke means moved. He moved David to number Israel. He moved him to do it. Can I be moved to sin by Satan? Yes. Have I been moved to sin by Satan? Yes. How does he move me? By the lust of my own heart. James chapter 1. We've got to be careful not to give Satan too much credit because ultimately we are sinners. David sinned. But as if we needed any help at all, Satan helps us in that. James chapter 1. And that's not a help that we need. James chapter 1, verse 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when Satan knocks on the door. Is that what it says? Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Yes, David was provoked or moved to sin, but he, had, he was enticed of his own lust. He was drawn away of his own lust to sin. Them and lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. We're going to read in just a minute. It, this sin did bring forth death, as all sin does. Provokes to sin. That adversary. Y'all remember, you ever, I'm sure a couple of people in the room have heard of Flip Wilson. He had a this little routine that he would he would say the devil made me do it, the devil made me do it. Oh yeah, the devil made me do it. He said in one of his quote comedy routines. Let me read this. He said many people are just standing around waiting for the devil to tell them what to do. And then the crowd laughed. But that's true. And there's a lot of children of God, including myself. They're just sitting around at times waiting for the devil to, to provoke us or move us to sin rather than wholly and completely. Well, brother, why would you say that? Because that's exactly what happened to David. Hear the seriousness of this matter. 
In that comic routine, he went on to say that the devil is relentless. He doesn't sleep. And when we wake, the devil says, here's your schedule. A lot of people have that type of livelihood. Satan provokes. He pricks. He seduces. He stirs up. You ever been talking to somebody and they just have a way of pushing your buttons and you say, oh, I just can't be, I can't stand to be around that person. Well, maybe that's Satan himself. You entertain angels unawares at times. Maybe that's Satan himself that is provoking you unto anger and the flesh. Oh, I don't think that would happen. Really? Satan being cunning, don't you think he could even use your own family and loved ones and friends and neighbors? In such a way? That's right. I remember growing up, I was talking to one of my my friends. He was a friend at the time. And he was trying to get me to do one thing, and I didn't want to do it. And his demeanor changed. His voice changed. Just, and I was an unsafe person at the time. And I thought, oh, no. Oh, Satan. He He's present. Not, he's not omnipresent. He is swift. But he desires specifically to provoke the children of God to sin. As I said before, he already has the unsaved. He already has this lost and dying world. In the text, Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. He provoked David, a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 13, verse 13. He was anointed by, by, by Samuel. As the kings, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 11 through 30. This is David that wrote a good piece of the Old Testament. <coughs> he provoked David to sin. He moved David to sin. Surely there is no child of God that Satan does not provoke to sin, move to sin. He desires to provoke the children of God. And we read in Job chapter 1, Satan desired, after considering or analyzing Job, he desired to provoke Job to sin. What was, what was his condition? Oh, move away the hedge, and then Job will sin against you. He desired sin in the life of Job. He's a liar and a murderer. What an enemy. Surely he desires to provoke the children of God to sin against God. Again, the audacity of this creature. In Matthew chapter 4, he presented the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life to Jesus Christ himself. Don't think he's not so brash that he won't provoke you to sin. If you think you're free of this, he is provoking you in pride and self-reliance. If you think you're free of this, he is provoking you in self-righteousness. Thank God I'm not like those other people that are provoked by Satan. Whew. He provoked, look at this, he provoked the leader of God's people. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David, the king the leader of God's people, to number Israel. You know, this is, this, is, this is his pattern. He provoked the leader of the human race, Adam. He provoked the head of all and above all things, Jesus Christ. It says in, in the book of Zechariah, it was, at, it was foretold in the book of Zechariah that he would approach the Lord Jesus in in the book of Matthew. Zechariah. see if I can find it here. Zechariah. Uh, let's see. Chapter 13. Page 940 for some of us. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd... And the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. Why do we read that? Look in the book of Mark, chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, verses 27 and 28. Mark chapter 14, 
And Jesus saith unto them, All, all ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. Now God Almighty, His hand, His hand. Remember what we read in Acts chapter 2. And Peter was very careful to make this distinction in Acts chapter 2. That it was by the, the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God that Jesus Christ was slain. But it was by wicked hands. And how would you say they moved if not in a satanic fashion? Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Ye, after a satanic opposing force. They didn't do, that as, they didn't do these things as a friend of God. They did these things as the enemies of God. Satanically, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. They, cruci they, 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 they were murderers of him, or they laid their hands upon him. He laid down his life of his own, but they, were, they, had, they had their hands on the charge. And how did they do that? But by lying and saying he was a blasphemer. Those are the two traits that Jesus himself said Satan had. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. You see the pattern here with David it seems as though it was a matter of pride in our text in 1 Chronicles chapter 21 and verse 2 and David said unto Joab and to the rulers of the people go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it for no other purpose. I just want to know what they are. Joab answered, The Lord make his people a hundred times so many as they be. But my Lord the king, as they not all are, are they not all my, my Lord's servants? Why then doth my Lord require this thing? Why will he be a, why will he be a cause to trespass Israel a cause of trespass to Israel? You know it wouldn't take much. All I'd have to do is change just a couple things in my preaching, and we'd have a whole house full in here. It wouldn't take much. In fact, the people that are under discipline, they had a couple gripes. If I would have said, you know what, those things, they're not that important. Let me, let me change a couple things about what's being taught here so we can have more numbers, then, then okay, then yeah, we'll, we'll do it that way. If we're all crazy about the numbers and all crazy about pride and this whole thing wasn't about the Lord and His glory, we could do something like that. And there may be, it may be tempting to do that. There are several churches around here that I, I've talked to their, their pastors. You know, it might be subtle. Sometimes it's overt, just plain as it can be. But the difference is, oh man, and that's how Satan operates. And they just pack out their houses. It might be tempting to satisfy the lust of our flesh to, to sin just so that we could observe what we perceive as growth. This might sound crazy. You know, there's not many of us here, but I, I take special me measures not to know the exact number of us. You think, oh man, how could you not know the number? Because I don't want to be guilty of the stuff that happens in this passage. I don't want to be numbers driven. I know your, your names and your faces that come before me continually in prayer. Got to be careful that we don't get caught up in sin. Being numbers and volume and excitement motivated would be a snare to us. Yes, I want. I would like to see the glory of the Lord as we pray. I would like to see souls saved and people added unto this assembly such as pleases the Lord. But his way, not my way, his way. And if we must lay aside, as we were studying this morning in the Sunday school, if we must lay aside the word of God so that other things could be tended to, we'd be in a, we'd be in a hard spot. Then we'd have to keep up those gimmicks and things too. What I, the point I'm trying to make here is Satan provoked the leader of God's people. Being proud, he was removed from focusing on dependence of the Lord. 
And he was looking for his sufficiency in the numbers of men, it appears. Whether, whether, whether to go fight against an army or even to, to, um, to, to say, oh yes, look at the great number that the Lord has produced out of 70 that went down to Egypt. For whatever the cause, it, was a, it seems as though a matter of pride. I was talking to another pastor this morning. I sent him a message of encouragement by text message. And he sent a thank you back because often he feels like quitting. Why? Well, there's just a few of us. You see, if we focus on numbers, then we start focusing on self and start seeing myself as a failure and what am I doing wrong and well, I'm going to change this and do this and do this rather than being firmly reliant on God Almighty that he would save his people and add them to his church. And you know what? If I see myself as a failure, I also say, God, how come you're not doing what, you, what I think you ought to be doing? I'm also calling God a failure. That's sin. Can you imagine Satan provoking a pastor to sin against God and the very work he's called us to do? It happens all the time. There's nothing new about Satan provoking the leadership. Look over at the book of Nehemiah. They were, they were building a wall in the book of Nehemiah. They were building a wall, and that was going around around Jerusalem. And in and, and Nehemiah chapter 6, Nehemiah, he was one of the principal workers on that wall. And he had some enemies. Look at what it says in Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1, 2, and 3. Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies enemies heard that I was building the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at the time I had not set up the doors upon the gates. So there's no broken down places, but he hadn't hung the doors yet. Then Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together and in some of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. Come on, come, come down here. We're going to talk. Come on, we're going to talk it over. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? See how devilish that is? Oh, we need to, we need to work out a compromise. We, need, we just need to talk. But you need to stop what you're doing for the Lord so we can go over here and talk it over. You need to stop the very important great work you're doing for the Lord and come talk these things over. And reason with us. Be reasonable, Nehemiah. There's so many different ways that Satan provokes the Lord's people. Provoking the Lord's man set to oversee the Lord's people. In addressing that item, I would ask you to pray for me particularly. Because just as much as you think and know that Satan provokes you in sin, know that he does it to me more. There's, a few, there's just a handful of us here. But don't you know that Satan would love to provoke me to sin and ruin the testimony that's assembled? Don't you know it? Don't you know that the, that the relatively speaking of all the human race in existence, that he would love to take his pastors and his ministers and his overseers and ruin them, bringing them to sin? Don't, don't, don't you know that? So I ask you, please, be in prayer for me. He really does provoke the leaders of God's people today. Can you, can you imagine the delight that Satan had when Adam, when Adam sinned and fell? Can you imagine the delight? Can you imagine the delight that throughout the past 2,000 years of, of church history that, that, as, that as churches were scattered and slain and, and, and tossed about, the delight that Satan has? Can you imagine 
the delight that Satan has when a pastor or deacon or missionary or anyone in leading leadership standing falls in great sin and great embarrassment? Can you imagine his delight? Can you imagine the, the delight he has when this world can say, Aha, I thought that was a man of God. What happened? Aha. Because ultimately, that brings a reproach upon the name of God, the delight he has in that. He's an enemy. There are pastors today that are provoked of Satan, and they lead people in sin. David was provoked by Satan and led Israel in sin as Satan stood up against it. What do you mean by that? Well, there's pastors today that feel like they can get on social media and tell all, uh, all pe people who call themselves children of God that it's okay to be idolatrous and it's okay to be backsliders and it's okay to do all these terrible things. They're leading them in sin. There's great harm that's being done and has been done to the Lord's assembly by such pastors being provoked of Satan because of pride that leads the children of God into sin. Great harm. Idolatry, loose living. Oh, yeah. One man said, oh, yeah, just go ahead. When you go to the restaurant, just go sit up at the bar. Nobody cares. One pastor said that. Worldliness. Flippantness. Oh, yeah, I'm saved. Yeah, whatever. Hey, what do you want to do? Just total lack of respect and seriousness at all toward God in their living. You think God provoked them to teach such things to their congregations and then put that garbage on the Internet? No. Who would have provoked them to sin? That's certainly not biblical. They, they claim Christian liberty, but... You know, in Romans, when it talks about Christian liberty, that, that means after that comes after chapter 12 when he says that you'd be a living sacrifice unto God. So promoting loose living and license to sin, you think you think Satan has provoked these men to, to teach the people of God to sin? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think Satan would love for men and husbands and dads and rising leaders, men? Do you think he would love to provoke them to sin and just ruin them? Absolutely. There's a whole bunch of ways that, that Satan uses to, to provoke men to sin in the world today. We should pray for one another. That men would be men in their homes. And that children of God would be just that, that we would take up our cross, crucifying the flesh, and follow after Christ. Particularly, pray for these men that teach. Gary, Adam, and Lex. Pray for them. Because don't you know also that Satan would love for, for pride to catch on? When you look in 1 Timothy, look at this just a second. 1 Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6. It's talking about pastors, but apply it to teachers. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation, who? Of the devil. Don't you know, Satan would love to attack a young man given the charge to teach. This is a pretty despicable entity we're talking about. And you know that he knows the sin that easily besets you. You might not have been tempted to number Israel, but would have been tempted to do something else. And I want you to go ahead, every single one of us, I want you to go ahead and rationalize it in your mind that Satan standing up against God's people, he not that he could, he has already provoked each and every one of us to sin in our Christian life. No doubt about it. 
There's no doubt about it. You have been provoked. If you're a child of God and a member in this assembly, you have before been provoked to sin against God by Satan himself. Well, I don't know about all that. Remember, Ephesians chapter 2, the prince of the power of the air works in the children of disobedience. Now think about what we studied in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Think about how Satan tempted Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Well, if the Father is not in him, what's the alternative? Remember what we read in John chapter 8, verse 44, you're of your father the devil. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, those are the things wherewith every one of us is tempted and have sinned. It's not of the Father, but of this world and the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Worketh in the children of disobedience. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Satan, that adversary, stands and provokes according to our own lust. He offers us everything we want according to the flesh. What did Paul say in Romans 7? O wretched man that I am, not that I was, that I am. And all those things that he would do but would not do, and all those things that he would not but that he does, all those things Satan would provoke him. Satan, that adversary, causes great damage. In our text, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, causes great damage. Think about the first damage that he did when he called, when he when he provoked Adam and Eve to eat, specifically Adam, when he provoked him to eat, he fell. That is in the fall of the of the human race. He should have died. The animal died instead. He was naked and afraid. He hid in the bushes. Sacrifice needed to be made. He brought death. Yeah, that's great damage. The wages of sin is death. And, and because sin passed up, uh, upon all men, all men die. Romans chapter 6. Satan, that adversary, causes great damage. 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 7. Chapter 21 and verse 7. And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore, he smote Israel. Verse 14, so the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel, and there fell of Israel 70,000 men. Well, what's the big deal? All David was doing was counting people. Why did 70,000 people die? Because he sinned against God. Don't think that it's a light thing to be provoked of Satan. And don't think just because you send old Joab and, and he's doing all the dirty work, all I want is a number, he's doing all, and it's not hurting anybody. We're just number. It's not hurting anybody. Do not think that sinning against God is a light thing. No, that adversary, he causes great damage. And don't you just know, he loved it. When, when, when the damage came because of the sin, he, he loves the damage that sin brings in our lives. Think about the think about the damage that Satan that being that sin has that that sin has had in your life. Think about the damage that sin has had in your life, and how much of a role Satan provoking, not provoking others, provoking ourselves. How much of a role has Satan had provoking us in sin, and then it have damage in our lives. Oh, we have an adversary. That adversary will lose. Okay? He'll lose. James chapter 4. Yes, he, he will lose. Now, he will lose in time to come. We read that already in Revelation chapter 20 where he's going to get firebombed by God. But child of God... 
he will lose in this life too. Look at this, James chapter 4. I want you to give, give great heed to this. James chapter 4 and verse 7. There's an order here. If at all you've been paying attention, there's an order to this. James chapter 4 and verse 7. Do you want help against the adversary? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, period. You submit yourself to God, you don't have to worry about it. Now, things will still come. Job, and remember the description that God gave about Job. Oh, he, his family died, and all his stuff was, was taken away, and he had boils all over him. Satan really did a number on him. He came out better, didn't he? Job came out with much more on the other side. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Don't submit to reasoning. Your reasoning lines up with Satan's reasoning. Don't submit yourself to your reasoning. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. He's an enemy. You know what? Be an enemy back to him. Resist him. Put up a fight. Resist him. Be his opponent. Be his adversary. How are you going to do that? Submitting yourself to God. Putting on the whole armor of God. You're not going to resist him in your own power. People, you know, these movies and different things, people try to call up and conjure out and cast out and do all this stuff with Satan. Remember them seven sons of Sceva that tried to cast out a devil? They were stripped down naked and sent whimpering. Yep. You try to do that on your own, it'll be a nightmare. That's right. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Trust the Lord and do what he says. Trust the Lord and do what he says. Resist the devil. How do you do that? You don't walk according to the course of this world. You don't walk according to his, his wickedness and his disobedience and his pride. With all meekness and loneliness, submit yourself. Humble yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I made mention of Matthew chapter 4 a couple times. Look over there just for a second. We see a... We see something very important here. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 10. Then Jesus saith unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Submit yourself to God. Then the devil leaveth him. Oh, resist the devil and he will leave you? That's exactly what happened. And behold, angels came and ministered unto him. In another gospel, it says he left him for a season. doesn't mean he left him forever. He left him for a season. You submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. It may be for a season. He might be back this afternoon or tomorrow. What do you do then? Submit yourself to God. Trust him. Do what he says. Resist the devil. When we submit to the flesh, we submit after the provoking of Satan. We submit to, to, the, to the, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. When we submit to God, that's altogether different. That's holy and righteous, righteous and good. When we submit to the course of this world, we submit after Satan. Don't call on worldly logic. The adversary will lose. There's the formula. Trust the Lord. Follow him. Do what he says. Walk in light as he is light. 1 John chapter 1. The adversary will lose. And we discussed that earlier in Revelation chapter 5. After that thousand years of being bound, he still has one more fight and then he's going to get blasted. He will lose. Yes, he will lose then. Trust in the Lord. Have him lose today. You know, sometimes we get upset a little bit that, you know, oh, yeah, being Sovereign Grace Baptist, we can't do anything about anything. We're told to do something, to submit to God and resist the devil. There's responsibility there. Take just because, Whether you acknowledge that responsibility or not, we have a, an adversary 
that walks about as a lion seeking whom he may devour. That He's real whether you believe it or not. And he's trying to destroy you whether you believe it or not. And he stands against God's people whether you believe it or not. And he's provoking you to sin whether you believe it or not. Submit to God and resist the devil. He will flee. Thank God for grace. 1 Chronicles chapter 21 and verse 15, all the 70,000. It's terrible. David knew he had sinned. 1 Chronicles 21 verse 15. And God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord beheld and he repented him of the evil. He consoled himself. How did he do that? And said to the angel that destroyed, it is enough. enough no more when you say it's enough you mean no more if i'm pouring brother gary a cup of coffee he says no that's enough that means no more that's enough no more it's done the the destruction is over it is enough stay now thine hand an angel of the lord stood by the threshing floor of ornon the jebusite what's precious about that spot turn over to second chronicles in chapter three You'll see the preciousness, preciousness of that spot. Second Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord, the temple, at Jerusalem, in Mount Moriah. What's Mount Moriah? That's where Abraham took Isaac and said, Oh, I see that place afar off. The Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. Where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Yeah. Calvary. That's right. Amen. That? What, what's the solution for the adversary? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Submit yourself to God. God's grace. The Lord. It was the Lord who was offended. Satan wasn't offended. David wasn't offended. The Lord was offended. The Lord was exacting proper judgment. You can't ever say that God was unfair with his judgment. No one can ever say that. Why well, Why not? God's not fair. He shouldn't be able to judge anybody. He judged his own son. Button that lip. He spared not his own son. He is right and just to judge exactly how he pleases. The Lord consoled himself, declaring it is enough with the gospel in view. The Lord decided of the place, the threshing floor of Ornan. He decided back in 1 Chronicles when, they got, when God sent that angel to destroy Jerusalem and sent that angel at the place of Ornan, the Jebusite, the threshing floor. He decided. Thank God for grace. Were it not by the grace of God that every, then every human being that ever lived by that adversary would be destroyed. Myself, especially included. No, but for the grace of God, he does say it is enough. By the grace of God, there's mercy to be found. By the grace of God, though provoked and, and, and that great adversary stands against, by the grace of God, the people of God continued. By the grace of God, the gospel was displayed. Thank God. Thank God for grace. Keep on reading through there. Ornan, he, he didn't want to take anything for the, for the land or for the sacrifice. And David, so, David said, no, it's going to cost me. Sin has a cost. And my sin, the cost of my sin was laid upon Jesus Christ. And he paid it in full. David didn't pay Ornan a percentage of it because he was the king. He paid the price in full. Thank God. So as terrible as this adversary is, as terrible as Satan. Satan is God's adversary before he was my adversary. You see, when he was cast out, he was cast out of the presence of God. Why? Because he was adversary and enemy to God in pride. I will be like the Most High, he said. An adversary. You, might, you may say a prosecutor. You know, in a court of, court of law, you've got a prosecutor and you have, what's another word for a defense attorney? An advocate. 1 John chapter 2. 
I've got a terrible, wicked, loathsome prosecutor. I have a most magnificent advocate. And he's never lost a case. First John chapter 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. Don't follow Satan's pattern. And if any man sin, we have an advocate, a defense attorney, a defense with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, by whose sacrifice the Father said it is enough. By his sacrifice there is salvation for those who stood out of the way, for those who are following and those who are provoked in sin, for those who are sinners deserving God's wrath. Jesus Christ, the righteous, the advocate, is a friend indeed to sinners. Thank God. Thank God. When Satan stands up against me, Jesus Christ declares his blood. In Hebrews chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 7, it says that he daily, that he ever liveth to make intercession. That's verse 25. He ever liveth to make intercession for his people. He pleads the cause of his own blood as a defense. Satan stands against me. He stands against you just as much as he stood against David. Don't be deceived. He stands against you and he attempts to provoke you and I to sin. And don't be fooled. He is successful many times. Satan stands and provokes according to my own lust and according to your own lust. And because of that lust and because of that sin that brings forth death, there is great damage many times. Thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. You cannot find, you cannot find one that has been saved that is without sin. You, can, you can't. He came to save his people from their sins. He didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And yet we remain in this sinful condition, easily enticed to sin. Do you desire to put away those sin and the, and the, the weight and the sin that easily besets you, those little trigger pulls that Satan accesses? Satan will lose. Will he lose today? Will you submit yourself to God? Will I submit myself to God and resist the devil? Be his enemy today. God help us. When he said in the book of James, it's not a suggestion. He's saying it in a commanding kind of way, an authoritative way. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. That sounds like a full-time job, and it is. You let your guard down. Lex, Lex, I take him down. He does this boxing stuff every now and again. There's one guy that's in his class. Oh, he's quick. You move your hand just a little bit, pop you right in the nose. It's quick. That's a teenager. Don't you think Satan wants to pop you? Get your guard up. Resist him. Put the armor of God on. Live for the Lord. Do not be easily provoked. You know, the big stuff we got sometimes, the big stuff, no problem. Oh, yeah, I would never do this. I would never do that. It's the little stuff that'll get you. Like numbering, just counting things. Thank God for grace. Thank God that even in our infirmities and being provoked to sin and behaving like children of the devil... David didn't lose his salvation, and the gospel was demonstrated. Thank God for grace. Sinner, as we read in Ephesians chapter 2, that was a description of who you are. You move according to the lust of this world and the course of it and the, the prince of the power of the air. You, you behave in disobedience toward God. You behave like Satan himself on this earth. And you might be a little bit cuter, but you know what? Satan, was a, he was delightful to look at. He was one of the prettiest of the angels, wasn't he? Certainly he was. Satan doesn't stand up against you. You're on the same side. He's not your enemy. You're on the same side. That's what the Bible says. You're on his side. And so is everybody else by birth. You're doing his bidding. You're doing the things he wants you to do. 
And if you think that you are, are, are righteous in yourself, well, that's what John, the Lord Jesus was saying in John chapter 4. You're of your father, the devil. You're lying to yourself, and you're a murderer. You commit sin. You're going to die in your sin. And if you kept reading in Revelation chapter 20, just as much as the Satan and the beast and the false prophet are cast alive in the lake of fire, keep reading on down. And those that live after Satan's pattern, what happens to them? They're cast in the lake of fire likewise. Except for the grace of God, and you repent, putting your trust in Jesus Christ, except you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, you will likewise perish. You make your living today standing up against God, against God's people, and sinning. And you live that way, you will die that way. Judged according to your works. There's one remedy, exactly one. The Lord Jesus Christ, who at Moriah, which is the field of Ornan, the threshing floor of Ornan, which is Calvary, gave himself a ransom for his people. Free and sovereign grace. All the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. He alone can save from sin. Repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. May the Lord bless. May the Lord help us against this terrible, wicked, loathsome adversary. Brother White.